0: Hello my lovely listeners, I'm Dr Mary Barson And I'm Dr Lucy Burns Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss Good morning lovely listeners, Dr Lucy here again this week We are continuing the second part of our three part series with dietitian, low carb dietitian, she's a rarity, Jess Turton Let's get cracking and get started Today you are the proud owner of a successful dietetics clinic with a number of dietitians in your clinic and you work with Dr. Pran Nathan. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I'm very grateful for the experiences I've had because I learned so much and I was able to sort of apply this very unique lens to everything I was learning. So I actually got out of the toxic dieting cycle, so to speak, in my bachelor, and then I had to do my master's degree, knowing everything I know about how important calories are for the brain, how important fat and protein and animal foods are for your physical and mental health. And then I had to go through uni (laughs) in my master's. Kind of like putting that to one side and sort of, you know, having to just learn what I had to learn to get through. And it was, even though I still got a lot out of it, because as I said, I was able to apply my lens and find other interesting things in what they were teaching us and not really the take home message that they wanted us to know. Because there is a lot of dogma in dietetics, as I'm sure a lot of people understand. But when I came out of uni and when I started practicing, I was like, I wish that I could like create a course or something for other dietitians because I think most dietitians, when you're going into uni, you genuinely do wanna know how to help people. And like, you genuinely wanna know how can we help these people like not have to diet? And how can we help these people not have to count calories and not have to be restricted? Like the intentions are really good. And dietitians are extremely smart. So like the course to get to dietetics is not easy. Like the ATAR is is high. The undergrad you have to do is difficult. Like it's just a difficult pathway. And so you've got a lot of very smart people who are given terrible, terrible (laughs) um, (laughs) education, essentially. And so I was like, you know, I want to create a platform for dietitians who want to learn about not only low carb, but other interesting aspects of nutrition that, you know, maybe they dabble in at university, but they don't really go into full detail luckily because, you know, I do do science as well. I do do research. I think I'm, I, I can easily interpret the literature and, you know, get the takeaway points and teach that to other people. Whereas I find that a lot of practitioners don't have those skills. So I basically started Ellipse Health as like a team, you know, can I build a, a little team of dietitians and I can support them and teach them all the things I wish someone taught me. And it is a small little team. So we have a male dietitian, Thomas Pavola. We have Nikki Motat, who was actually in my university degree going through with me. We have Kieran Daliwal and Megan Hassick. And it's just so nice to have a little community where we can bounce ideas off each other and be critical thinkers. And we refine our process. So whenever we see patients we review what we did, did it work? What are the outcomes? We always check to make sure that we're up to date in terms of the literature. And it's just a nice environment that I think that we're not taught a lot of those things at uni. So it's just kind of like that next level that I wanted to offer to people. So it's going really well, I love it. And yes, Dr. Pran Yoganathan, he has a gastroenterology clinic in Sydney. And he is very passionate about dietetics and nutrition, and I think he really was interested in the role of nutrition in not just gastrointestinal health, but how that linked up with metabolic health. And he saw this kind of relationship that I don't think a lot of people have really uh, linked together or pieced together. It's not really clear in the scientific literature, the relationship between Gastrointestinal health and metabolic health. But Pran basically started realizing that when we improve people's metabolic health, their gastrointestinal symptoms tend to go away a lot of the time, especially for those IBS kind of patients where they've got bloating, they've got gas, they've got abdominal pain,
0: that sort of stuff. And I think, look, it's so this is the whole thing about our current epidemic of chronic disease, you know, and one of the things I'm looking forward to talking to Pran about on when he gets on is is reflux. You know, when I was going through uni, reflux was reasonably rare. And over the last 30 years, they've increased beyond belief so that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have IBS. A lot of people are on FODMAPs and even FODMAPs is an interesting scenario, (laughs) I think it's actually
1: quite, um, there's a lot of young people. So before working with Pran, I was working just at medical clinics and then on my own online. But then when I started working with Pran, he was sending through a lot of young patients. So people in their 20s, because I was used to seeing people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, they'd already been diagnosed with 10 chronic diseases. And now they were keen to, you know, change their lifestyle. Love those (laughs) patients. But also, I was like, this is so interesting. Now we're getting these people who haven't yet been given the diagnosis of a chronic disease, yet they have these symptoms which are ruling their life. And these gut symptoms were affecting their mental health so profoundly. And like you could see when they're walking into your room, like, You know, they're pale, they've got all these nutrient deficiencies, they're so scared to eat, they're on all these crazy, weird elimination diets, and they've just got these terrible gut symptoms that mean that they can't live their normal life anymore. And like it is really, really scary and traumatic for them. And it, whether it's the mental health that leads to the IBS, the IBS that leads to the mental health, or whatever. But you know, when we assess these patients, we find that they do have physiological issues that need to be addressed so irrespective of their subjective symptoms and irrespective of what pran finds when he does the investigations they have physiological issues going on so whether that be nutrient deficiencies or insulin resistance or fatty liver or whatever we can identify that's objective in their blood test we just take it and we run with it because if we can correct those things What we find is that their sort of baseline inflammation just comes right down and all the foods they were reacting to before, they now don't react to. And as you would know, I mean, if a patient has insulin resistance and nutrient deficiencies, a low carbohydrate diet is the best dietary approach because not only can it help with their metabolic health, but it is highly nutrient dense. So for these nutrients that they're deficient in, like vitamin B12 and iron that are contributing to the problem, we can actually correct that through diet and through teaching them about things like meat and eggs and dairy and how those foods are critical for them getting better.
0: Oh, totally. And you know what you've also just enunciated there in that sentence is our favorite term of low-carb real food. Because I think, again, in this, you know, low-carb is becoming a lot more acceptable and there are lovely, helpful food companies out there trying to basically make a buck on the back of it by telling you how they're going to make low-carb easy and then they're providing low-carb processed food options, which are a whole different kettle of fish.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of see their place for sure. Like my partner, for example, when he was transitioning from a high carb diet to a low carb diet, he was so addicted to sugar. He was an athlete. So he was an elite athlete and he used sugar to fuel himself, but he also got terrible migraines And they were severe, you know, three to four times a week. He was ending up in hospital all the time. Like they were really bad. So he knew he had to make a change with his diet and he knew he wanted to try keto and he was so motivated, but he was so addicted to sugar. And I've never actually seen someone so addicted as I have him. And for him, he couldn't go cold turkey. It just, it wasn't going to happen. So he actually did utilize those low carb processed foods to help him get off sugar. And I know that works for some people, it doesn't work for others, but it did work for him. And he was able to see some improvement in his migraines. And then as you said, when he could then make the transition over to real food, Because once your body gets off the blood sugar roller coaster, which those processed foods can still do, then it's easier to make decisions and then you can transition towards real food. And I think the goal should always be real food first and your pathway to get there might be different from person to person.
0: Yes, totally. And I completely agree. We often call, particularly the sugar alcohols, we will use them for transition because for some people it is, it's just a bridge too far. And if we can make that gap a little narrower, then they can take two leaps before they get to the goal.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. So I'm so pleased that there is a physician who recognizes the whole person (laughs) rather than just the thing that's at the end of the endoscope, because for a lot of a lot of gastroenterologists. That is their focus. Is literally what is what can I see through my endoscopy machine? So having somebody who is aware that there is a person behind that gut is really inspiring, and um, I think must be yeah good for you guys to be working together as a team in in many ways as well.
1: Yeah, it's so um, complementary. Like you would think. Yeah, a gastroenterologist should be talking about diet, right? But as you said, a lot of gastroenterologists, it's not even a topic that ever comes up. And, you know, they have short appointments and most of the time it's like, you know, into the endoscopy room, whatever, out and see you later. You know, like that's unfortunately the reality. And so Pran was finding that he was just running late all the time because he was spending all this time with his patients, telling them about diet and teaching them about how nutrition impacts the body and the gut. And it was just so nice that we could kind of come in and help him so that he could he does a beautiful job at planting the seed. So he plants these little seeds (laughs) in the patient's mind and they come to us, you know, a bit more motivated and informed with a direction, you know, so we don't have to spend as long, I guess, trying to plant a seed or trying to get them to change their ideas, because So many of us are stuck in the standard nutritional dogma where we think fat is going to clog our arteries and high cholesterol is like, you know, we're going to drop dead of a heart attack and salt is going to cause high blood pressure. Like there's all these things that we just think are facts and you kind of need a whole team of health professionals to unpack that for some people. And so it's nice to work within a team that can help people do that.
0: Ah, totally. So they come to you already sort of primed, which is, as you said, makes your job so much easier. I sometimes tell this little story about Santa and how as a child, you absolutely believe him to be true. And, you know, there's all this evidence that supports it. You know, there's half eaten cookies every year, there's rainbow glitter, there's stuff everywhere confirming. And the first time someone says to you, he might not be true, you actually don't believe it. You come home, you're looking for evidence to say, no, no, you're wrong, it's true. So it does take a few bites at the cherry to sometimes allow people that idea that actually what you've been taught isn't true and it's not your fault.
1: Mm, That is a fantastic analogy. I love
0: that. Feel free to borrow it. Lovelies, that's the end of this week's recording. It's been another fantastic day. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. We'll be back with the next part, uh, which is all about research and discussing Jess's research and what actually scientific research is and, more importantly, what it isn't. See you all next week, darlings. Bye now. So, my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.